Why? What? Exactly. That's well, what they we're don't like, why do we have to count in the first place? Exactly. So the Torah says, here, I have some source sheets for you girls. The Torah teaches us, this one is in the second page. You'll see, Vayikar Chav Kemal Tav Zayin. We have a mitzvah, like many other mitzvot. And it says, Husfartem Lachem, to count for yourself. The day after Shabbos, after bringing the Omer offering, you should count seven weeks. Seven weeks we have this mitzvah to count. Okay. I'm really two pages. Two pages. Two pages. I'm not sure if we're. This is a little bit of a different shear, which I just gave, which is about the. Have you guys ever been in shuls where they sing that Hineni Muchan Mazuman idea of the Shem Yuchud Kuchabrichu and all that? No? Has anyone ever been in a shul where they sing Hineni Muchan Mazuman? So there's a. But you, you've heard of the idea of saying Yehudim, Shem Yuchud Kuchabrichu, before you do Mitzvot? Okay, so we'll learn about it a little bit. So, first of all, we have this mitzvah in the Torah. It's in the Vayikra, as we just read. When the Torah is going through all the different holidays, we have this mitzvah between Pesach and Shavuot to start counting. Okay, to count from Pesach until Shavuot, we have a mitzvah, min ha-Torah, midu-oraita, to count. Okay? That's point one. Today, many rabbis say that it is only a mitzvah, the Rabbanan, uh, to count Svirat Omer. Why? What's the difference between today and back in the Torah's times? What are we missing? Beit HaMikdash. Some say that the mitzvah only applied when we had a Beit HaMikdash and they brought this Korban Omer. Nowadays we don't have a Korban to bring and therefore it's just a remembrance. That's how the Shulchan Aruch writes. And so most rabbis say it's only a mitzvah de Rabbanan nowadays. Yeah. Right. So we have to... Clear that confusion out, out of the way. There is the biblical mitzvah of counting. Separate from that, a few thousand years later, not a, few, a thousand years later, we have the whole Rebbe Akiva thing, and, which we'll talk about also in the morning. But, but we have to make things... First, there's a mitzvah in the Torah, the count of Pesach, the Shavuot, in the Torah. Okay? Now you know. Now, why? Why do we have this mitzvah to count from Pesach to Shavuot? What's the reasoning behind it? Excellent. So, if you look in the first page, the Moran Avuchim, which is the Rambam, or the philosophy book, explains, Shavuot, Shavuot, we know, is the day when we receive the Torah. Rambam says, imagine someone who you really, really miss you haven't seen for the longest time and you're waiting for him to come and every day you're counting down and has that happened to anyone where there was a, a good friend who you're just like waiting for them to come yeah. so that's what we're doing when we're counting from Pesach to Shavuot what were the Jews waiting for in this context to get the Torah to receive the Torah they had this idea apparently Moshe Rabbeinu told them they were going to get the Torah and they were waiting and yearning 
for the Torah, and therefore they counted. Oh, so that's a very good question. Why do we normally, let's say it's, you know, you have a month left to school, not, not, not Midrash, not seminary, that, that you're looking forward towards. But in school, you're waiting till it's over. You count 30 days left, 29 days left, 28 days left, right? But here, if the Ramam is correct, and the Sefer Chenech writes the same, we're counting up. So why? Oh, exactly. Very good. So that's exactly what the um, Rav Pinkus in his Sefer, Shimshon Pinkus, writes that when you count down, you're just trying to get rid of the days. I, just, I can't wait till the end. But when you're counting up, what you're saying is, every day has value. I need to invest every day. Every day is important. And I want to build one step on the next to get to that goal of receiving the Torah. So on the one hand, we're yearning and anticipating for the Torah. And on the other hand, we're, we are, uh, it's not just to get rid of it. We're not just counting. We have to find a way to make this time a very constructive time for spiritual growth. Okay? We'll talk about some practical ideas as to how we can do that by the end of the shiur. But that's, that's the goal. And that's why we count up. Okay? Everyone clear so far? Okay, point one. We said there's a mitzvah in the Torah to count from Pesach to Shavuot. Point two, we said what are we counting towards? Remember? Towards receiving the Torah. And point three, we asked why don't we count down in that place? Why are we counting up? Every day counts, exactly. Every day we're counting up, like going up on a ladder. Higher and higher and higher. Okay? Now, very good. Now, what are we? What what are we? What, what what are we saying by counting from Pesach to Shavuot? And just to to make it even sharper, so the Pnini Alacha writes that if imagine you're a, a slave and now you're free, right? You don't have to go to work anymore. Awesome, right? But what happens if soon afterwards you don't know what to do with yourself? Because there's no meaning. There's no purpose. Okay, I'm free, but like, now what do I do with myself? Right? Has anyone ever experienced such a feeling? Like, I'm free, but like... Yeah, like when you finish high school, like, when you finish your senior year, and like, it's not summer yet, it's like not in camp, like, mm-hmm. you know, like two months, like, you're just doing nothing. Like, you're just bored. You're like, what do I do now? Exactly. <laughs> Every day you're doing the same thing. Like, exactly, exactly. And in some ways, that's even harder. It happens a lot when, when I'm traveling. Sometimes I find traveling more stressful than when I'm, I have my day-to-day work. It's like, okay, I'm free, but what do we do? What, you know, should we travel there? Should we go here? No one knows what to do. It's hard to make decisions. When there's no border and structure and, and purpose, then you could be free, but like, what good is it? Right? So therefore, the Torah needs to connect Pesach to Shavuot. Okay? To say that to be a free man without a Torah is not, what's it all worth? The Torah gives meaning, gives purpose to a Jew so that every day he knows what to do. She knows what to do. She knows she has structure. She has purpose. She has a mission. And that's one of the reasons why I personally love Torah living. Because I never, I have never been bored for, for, for a minute in my life. People ask me if you're bored. I've, ne- I've never experienced such a thing. I'm always, I always have a different mitzvah. That like either I could learn Torah or I could do mitzvahs of exercising or I could do mitzvahs of being chesed or I could do mitzvahs of... There's so many mitzvahs to do. I don't understand the concept of boredom because the Torah always gives you different, different, different goals and different missions and that's maybe another idea between the counting between Pesach and Shavuot. Everyone good so far? Everyone understand that idea? Okay, great. Now, 
In terms of the, the halachot, a little bit of Sviyat Omer, when do we count? At what point of the day? At night. We count at night. Anyone know why we count at night? Because the Pasuk says it has to be Shlemot. Shivash Vuot Shlemot. So it has to be complete, therefore you start at night and then end of the day. So you, we count at night. If you forgot to count at night, the halacha is you can still count in the day, but not with the bracha. The bracha is only done uh, at night. That's the most complete way to do the mitzvah. Another word on the bracha. So as we're mentioning, there is a machloket between Ashkenazim and Svardim and Svardim and Kabbalistic Svardim about Svirat Omer. Ashkenazi uh, women, like my wife, for example, count with a bracha. They say that even though this is a time-bound mitzvah, a mitzvah which only applies during certain times, and therefore she doesn't have to, she's exempt. She's not a sinner if she doesn't count. Uh, that's interesting. That would make a lot of sense. They were involved in Pesach and Shavuos, uh, but that's not the reasoning given. The idea is, like any mitzvah, if they choose to put that upon themselves, they get reward for doing it. Similar, what other mitzvah is like that, that you can choose to do it even... Sukkot, sitting in a sukkah. What's another example of a mitzvah that a woman can take upon herself? Lulav and shofar. Is another good example. But Kanan comes to Ashkenazi rabbis and say, the Raman says, she can even say a bracha as if she was commanded because she was included in the general commandment. So my wife can count. Sephardis, Faradim, they go like the Shulchan Aruch who says, that because it's time bound, they can do the mitzvah, but they don't say a bracha. Because. Okay, so that's the next halacha. Good, very good. Moving on. Now, according to most posts, every single day of Sriyata Omer is a mitzvah. So it doesn't matter if yesterday you forgot, it makes no difference. If tonight you decide that you want to fulfill this mitzvah, you count, today is the 15th day of the Omer, you get a mitzvah. Almost all of the poskim. Okay, the Torah says you should count. However, there are some rabbis, like the Baal Halachot Gdolot, who write that it's not 49 separate mitzvot, but one big mitzvah. One big mitzvah which has 49 parts. Similar to Hilchot Shabbat. You'll have a mitzvah of keeping Shabbat with 39 different laws. Right? Therefore, if I missed a day, if I missed the 12th day of the Omer, I missed it. I lost my chance. Okay? Now, how do we paskin? Like the first opinion. So if you missed a day, it's okay. You can keep counting. But because there is this other opinion, and we're not sure, so if you missed um, a day, you would continue counting without a bracha. The rest of the thing. You missed your, your bracha, uh, but you can still count. You still get the mitzvah according to most, and you can be yotzeh through the chazan, who has you in mind, and you say amen if you go to Marif, but you would say it without a bracha because we don't want to say God's name in vain just in case it is one big mitzvah. Get it? That's halacha. Now let's think a little bit out of the box. Why? Why would it make sense? Exactly. Exactly. It's teaching us the idea of consistency. Right? Of... You guys heard, heard of Cal Ripken Jr.? He was a baseball player that never missed a game. And, and this is a very, very important idea in Judaism. 
it's not just enough that you have one day, one day, and then you miss a day and then do another day, but many times life's like an elevator. Either you're going up or down, right? And you lose the momentum, you, right? Very often this is also true in wars. I've been learning a lot about wars. One side wins and then they keep winning, they keep winning. It's also true in sports, right? A lot of times you, you, when, when one team's doing well, they'll score another point, another point, because they have the momentum, they have the confidence. Once you lose that one day, it's not the same. Right? It's also the same thing with learning Torah. That, you know, if you make a consistent commitment, every day I'm going to learn 10 minutes of Chafetz uh, Chaim. Right? And you're going Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. It's building. You want to keep doing it. Then you miss Wednesday. What happens on Thursday? Are you as motivated? No. Not just like I missed a day, but somehow you like go down. Because that's just how we work. We need the consistency. And so this... During Tzviyata Omer, it's a time specifically to focus on not just doing mitzvot, but being consistent, making it a ritual, making it a habit. Only something, when something becomes a, a habit, does it, does it become easier for us. It's like brushing your teeth. Right? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to ask you out loud, but I'm assuming most of you girls don't struggle with brushing your teeth in the morning. Thank God. Thank God. But there are people who might, and the reason you probably don't is because it just became a habit. You did it. When, when you were little girls, over and over and over. Now we don't struggle with it. It's the same thing with, for me and many people, davening shachars. I don't struggle with it because I've been doing it so long. That it's, and same thing for everything in Judaism, for learning Torah, for saying barachot. The main thing is that you should keep the consistency going and then you get more and more and more into it. Okay? But if you're not, if you, if you lose that consistency, it, it's hard to get back onto the wagon. But still, if you miss a day, of course, halacha is... Get back onto the wagon. Jump in again and, and, and just get started again. Okay, so those are two beautiful ideas that we can learn from this mitzvah of Sefirata Omer. Now, what, is, what, are we, what, are we, what are we doing by counting? So one idea, as we mentioned before, is that when they were counting, they were yearning. They were yearning to receive the Torah. And this also has a very, very um, important lesson for us that... Uh, Let's, let's take water, for example. I think I mentioned this yesterday, but what's the difference between that water when you just wake up and you had a big meal and you drink a little water versus if you go for a run? I go, I'm running from here to, to, to my yeshiva after this. What's going to taste better? If I drink this water now or if I drink the, the water after uh, 30 minutes of running in the sun? Why? What's the difference? Yeah, it's completely different. It's not even like a... 3 to 5 reading. It's like a 3 to 10. It's totally different. Right? You don't even need sugar, nothing unhealthy. Just run and the water will taste better than any sports drink. Right? Because you're thirsty. So now, how do, how do we apply this to Torah? That, like, they got Torah and they brought me like, they were good and I never thought of that idea, but that's a great idea. I really like that. That's why Hashem wanted to make them wait and yearn for it a little bit. Very good. Very good. I like that a lot. Now, applying it to our own lives, it's very important to try to think of ways to not just learn Torah, but to yearn for Torah. Something that I felt was two practical ways. One was when I was in the army, for example, I always yearn for the Torah a little bit more because I'm not learning all day. So when I finally get a chance, I'm really like looking forward to it. 
But at the same time, um, another practical suggestion I would say is when you're in an environment of Torah, when you, let's say when I go to the Kotel, I want to I want to learn. I'm surrounded by Kiddusha. When you're in a seminary with friends who are learning Torah, when you go to a shiur, people want to learn. By putting yourself in that atmosphere, it creates a thirst for the Torah. But when you leave that atmosphere and you're at home and there's TVs and movies and whatever, right? So you don't have that same thirst. You just want to do other things. So it's very important not just to learn Torah and do mitzvot, but to create an atmosphere that you can thirst for the Torah. It's another very practical lesson that we can learn from, from Pesach to Shavuot, from, from this mitzvah Tzvirat Okay, let's talk about one, one more idea. The Korban, when does the Svirat Omer start? It starts the day after Pesach. And Pesach, we bring a Korban. The Korban has Seora. Seora means barley. Barley, who eats barley? Sometimes we eat barley, but generally, in the olden days at least, who were the people, who, no, who were the beings who would eat it? Barley? Poor people or animals? Animal, barley was animal food back then. On Shavuot, we have a different korban. It's called the Shtei Lechem. Two breads. Who eats bread, of course? We do. Animals can't eat bread. They can't make bread. Bread is a very uniquely human thing. Right? So, we're starting off with animal food and then we're going to human food. So, what's the idea here? What's the halakha trying to teach us? What's this? Uh, this is obviously, in the Torah, it, it doesn't say explicitly, but we can guess. What's the idea that the Torah is trying to convey by this different korban from the animal food to the human food from Pesach to Shavuot? Any ideas? And what and what elevates us? What what through what koach do we change from animalistic beings to human beings? The Torah. The Torah. And the mitzvot, exactly. So this time specifically is a time to work on ourselves, to work on switching from being animalistic beings to to to, to holy souls. And, it's not, and if you ask me, it's not just enough to like be doing mitzvot, but really think for yourself because you could, as we've all learned before, you could be doing all the mitzvot. Right? But still be what's called a naval birshuta Torah. means you're still animalistic. You're still trying to get away with things. Right? Like the Ramban writes, you're still getting drunk all the time, eating tons of steaks, you know, sleeping in any, with any free time. All, all of these things, even though you're technically not violating the Torah, but you're violating the spirit of the Torah because you're not acting like a soul. You're acting like an animal. And, and the true tzadikim, what really made them unique, is that they would do every action they did with mamish, like a soul with dignity for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, even if it was allowed, technically, right? But they wouldn't put an extra bite of food in their mouth if it wasn't for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. They thought it was gluttonous. They wouldn't, you know, waste any time. Right? Only, they were doing everything just for what does what your neshama call, call for you to do? So for, for, for me, that's something that I'm trying to think about. I'm trying to work on during this time period to really... Focus in on being a soul and, and less physically obsessed. Okay? Um, another, uh, I mean, uh, another piece of advice that I might give is that every day we count Svirat Omer. Think of one idea, one idea 
for you, that's very personal, that you can grow in, so that you're not the same person by the time Shavuot comes. It's not just a cute counting, but you have actually transformed yourself. And I'm going to challenge you girls, not to just leave this in theory, but um, really, that to, to, for those who want a pen, I'll, I'll lend you a pen. Write down one idea of something that you can t- commit yourself to, that you'll do a little extra, a little something different from now until the end of Shavuot. I'll give you some ideas to spark some ideas. One idea is I started journaling. I don't always write journals, but actually I believe that journaling is a very Jewish concept. It's doing a cheshbonetish. It's thinking about your day and what I could do better in the future. So uh, there's the, all these journal apps, journey or whatever. And I just write every day, a, a, you know, a little bit of what I did right, a little bit of what I did wrong, a little bit of how I can do better tomorrow, right after I count Sefirat to Omer. Another thing my wife and I have done in the past is we just take five extra minutes to talk to HaKadosh Baruch at the end of Rosh Esrei every night. It's something I don't normally do. It could be a, an extra safer I learn. It could be... It could be anything, really. Whatever you connect to, but something that you want to grow in by the end of Sefirat Omer. Okay? I mean, I'll, I'll, hopefully by the end of this year we'll throw some more ideas out there, but you can already start brainstorming for your, right now because I'm going to ask you by the end of this year what... what you're taking upon yourself, okay? So I'm giving you some warning and space out if I get too bored. Think about that stuff, okay? Sefirata um, Omer. What else? We're going to talk about Rabbi Akiva. Um, before we get there, I want to talk for a second about L'Shem Yichut. So you'll, you'll, you'll notice, especially Sfaradim, who are connected to the Kabbalah, um, some, some Sfaradim... For, for whatever reason, which I don't really understand, don't encourage women to count. So I'm not really sure why that is, but you should ask your rabbi or your parents what their tradition is. Either way, it can be a time of transformation and spiritual growth, whether you're counting or not. Just have to put, And other Sephardi rabbis do count, so I, ask your rabbi. I'm, I'm not, I'm not poskening. Or ask whoever the rabbi is of the yeshiva, what do you think? So. Okay. Before we do Sefirat Omer, many people have a custom to say L'shem Yichud Kuchabrichu. Not only that, before many, many mitzvot, before eating matzah, before eating lulav, uh, waving lulav, before davening shacharit, many, many people say this preparational prayer called L'shem Yichud Kudsha. No one here has, uh, has seen it? The little uh, L'shem Yichud's... Uh... Now you'll notice it when, when uh, many times before shacharit or before any mitzvah, the little prayer which especially Sfaradim and, and Mkubalim are makbid to say. And the question is, why? Why is it that we do this, uh, this special prayer and why specifically Sefirata Omer? So what do you guys think? What's the idea of saying a... Uh, the, the text is, Hinini Muzuman, Behold, I am ready and prepared to fulfill the mitzvah of Sefirata Omer. You don't just say count. You're supposed to say, "I declare I'm ready to count for uh, to count and to do this mitzvah." Sefirat Omer. Why? 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 Why do we do this? What's that? You could just see numbers, but then when you prepare yourself, you you get more excited. It's like that step back before you start. You see the number of the day. Exactly. Exactly. Right? And especially because it's such a simple. Uh, it's just like you could count in one second. It's like done. Okay, I counted. Back on the phone. Right? Like you just like candles. Right? I lit Shabbos candles. Okay. I lit Hanukkah candles. Okay. I'm done. And that's cute. Or you can prepare yourself spiritually. And this prayer is preparing our intention 
so that we don't just run through the motions, but that we really think about what we're about to do when we think of spiritual intentions. And according to Hasidut and, and Kabbalah, I just came back from Tzfat, so uh, they're all about this. In certain ways, the preparation for the mitzvah is even more important than the mitzvah itself. The mitzvah is very important, but in some ways you create the vessel to receive the light of connection to Kadosh Baruch Hu when you prepare for the mitzvah. Can you girls think of any other mitzvah which have a preparatory aspect to it? Where it's not just the mitzvah, but there is an aspect of preparing for it. Shabbat. Sorry, what were you saying? Shabbat. Shabbat, exactly. Shabbat is a great example where there's many, many halachot. Uh, wait a second. Which relate to preparing for Shabbos, for example. Cleaning, cooking. Cleaning, cooking, shopping. All of these are halachot in the Shulchan Arach which specifically have to be done in certain ways and which are a core part of Shabbos. In fact, how does the Torah teach us about the laws of Shabbat? It first starts out with the law of preparing for Shabbos, of, of, of getting the man. Even before we talk about the laws of Shabbos, the Torah tells us, first of all, you need to prepare. So Shabbos is an excellent example of a mitzvah which is very dependent on our preparation. What, what else? Right, that's an effect. excellent, especially for Svaradim when they were saying Slichot for 30 days beforehand. Right, you don't be able to just be like a day, you go in, you fast, boom, out. But no, it becomes a whole spiritual transformation. You take the whole month beforehand to work on ourselves. That's an excellent example. What else? What other examples are there in Judaism of preparation? Mitzvot, which are themselves a preparation or were do a preparation beforehand? Marriage. Marriage, absolutely. We have a whole, or some say our whole lives are really just preparing for, to, to be the right cleats for our soulmates. And, and certainly, uh, Erusin, we have that you know, time beforehand to prepare ourselves, absolutely. Exactly, and they say again, when, the, when you're cleaning your house, it's not just cleaning that, you're cleaning out your soul. Pesach specifically, 30 days beforehand, you're supposed to start learning the halachot, and there's so much spiritual and physical preparation. That's another excellent example. And to be free, you need to prepare yourself. Any other ideas? Mikvah. Mikvah itself is a preparation. It's a preparation for tefillah or whatever. But mikvah itself, you're right. It should be done ideally with uh, tefillah, with intentions and, and, and tshuva. And, and it should be done with preparation. Some other ideas that are at, uh, that your girls are brachot. Before you do a mitzvah, you do brachot. Why do we do, say brachot before we do a mitzvah? Exactly, to, to focus that, to, to, so we don't just wave the, the lulav. We, we prepare ourselves mentally and spiritually, and, and, when, when, and, and even tefillah itself. Tefillah, technically, the, when, when, the, when the Gemara says tefillah, what does it mean? Amidah, Shmona Esrei. But what do we do besides for Amidah? We say, we sing Kabbalah, Shabbat, Shabbat. All of this, according to the Gemara, is meant to spiritually prepare ourselves. Of course, it itself is valuable, but whenever we do a mitzvah, Kriyat Shema is another great example. We don't just jump into it, we prepare ourselves. Okay? And, um, and the Noam Elimelech, who is a Hasidic Rebbe, says, before you do anything, he suggests, before any, even non-mitzvah, even before you play sports, even before you eat lunch, he says, a true Hasid will prepare himself. And like we mentioned, me and Neely sometimes have a gratitude round. We thank Hashem for the food beforehand and we think about where it came from. And this also helps a person be happy. 
Um, but, and in general, when we're doing things with intention and, and not just running through it, it'll be a much more enjoyable experience as opposed to simply running through the motions, okay? So preparing ourselves spiritually is a big, big, big part of Judaism. I'll give you two more examples. One is, uh, here, I'll read you a Gemara. You girls want to see it inside. It's, uh, I just learned this a few days ago. I've been learning uh, Gemara Sota, doing Daf Yoma, Yomi, and I came across the following, um, following Gemara in Sota. You can read it in English if you want. It's on the second page. Sota 22b, the second source. See it? The significance of receiving that reward can be learned from a widow. As there was a certain widow in whose neighborhood there was a shul. And despite this, every day she went and she prayed in the study hall of Rabbi Yochanan. So she had a shul right next to door, but instead she went to the farther shul. Rabbi Yochanan said to her, My daughter, is there not a synagogue in your neighborhood? She said to him, My teacher, don't I attain reward for all the steps I take while walking to pray in the distant study hall? So the Gemara is, is saying that she gets a reward not just for the fact that she went to, to shul, but for the journey to shul. Now, maybe you could interpret it like that that she just wants more bonus points. Maybe, but, but I, the way I read it, I read it a little differently. Why would there be value in going to the, the, the longer shul? I mean, the Gemara says it's a good thing. Well, why, why would I choose to go to the shul that's farther away as opposed to the shul that's closer? Because it's the one that maybe you connect to most and it shows love for it. So then you take, you take the extra steps because it's something you want and that you love and you want. Exactly. And first of all, it will, it will make the mitzvah of when you, when you go to shul be more valuable to you. You already slept in. You might as well make the, the, the best of the situation. Right? Like I remember... This, uh, this past summer, I was in Los Angeles, stealing, staying by Neely's parents, and I, they didn't have a bike. I thought I was gonna bike to shul, and there was no close shul. It's not like Yerushalayim, you have shuls everywhere. The only minion was like at 6.30 in the morning, and I didn't have a bike, and it was about a 45, 50 minute uh, walk, maybe an hour walk, actually, um, and there wasn't good busing. So what did I do? I said, I'll jog there. I started jogging every day to shul. And it was like a 25 minute jog and I was sweaty by the time I got there. But it was amazing and I dive in really great because first of all, I love physical exercise. It gets me like feeling good. And second of all, I already slept all the way there. It's six in the morning, I might as well have good Shmanesh, right? So psychologically, it becomes a much better tefillah experience when you do that. And I th- but I think there's a second element. It's not just about that the tefillah will be more powerful. I remember when I was growing up, I used to go to a certain shul near my house in Brooklyn. Uh, any girls from Brooklyn? Yeah. So Landau's. Ellen, Ellen Coney Island. And it was like, me and my brother would always walk together to shul. Not all, very often. And um, I remember the talks that me and my brother had on the way there. We're always nice, meaningful. We're on our way to do a mitzvah, so we're talking about you know, important things. Sometimes the tefillah itself was like, whatever, it was okay. I didn't have that much kavanah. But the 10 minute walk there and the 10 minute walk back, I'll never forget that. That itself, the journey was itself meaningful. 
So perhaps when you're walking to do a mitzvah, like Aliyat Regel, right? If you girls would have lived a few thousand years ago, you would have had a mitzvah. No matter where you were in Eretz Yisrael, you'd be walking in on Shavuot. You might have already had to start walking today. I don't know. It was a long journey. But the Torah values the journey. And in fact, this is even cooler. This is my Chedesh. What does Shavuot itself mean? If you were to name the, day, the holiday when we receive the Torah, what would you name it? Think of a name for the holiday. The holiday when we get the Torah. Any ideas? What, what, what name could we have? I would name it something in Hebrew, like getting the Torah. Torah day! Right? Good. What else? Any ideas? The day when we receive the Torah. Something super awesome Torah day. What does the Torah actually call Shavuot? Shavuot. <laughs> what does Shavuot mean? Weeks. Why does it call it weeks? Oh, yeah. Because the Torah is telling us it's not about receiving the Torah. It's about the journey to get the Torah. Pretty crazy idea. The Shavuot itself is all about the journey and Sviyot Omer is essential. It's not just you woke up one day and you, okay, it's Shavuot, let's stay up. It's all about getting there. And that's perhaps why we call it Shavuot. And that's perhaps why specifically when it comes to Shavuot, we say this to prepare ourselves. Because the whole idea of Shavuot is not just running into mitzvot, but preparing ourselves to do it. Got it? Got the idea? So, so I, I would recommend as another idea to try to focus for the next couple of weeks, not just on doing mitzvot, but on preparing for it. Don't just come to the shir, come five minutes early. Don't just go to tefillah, come five minutes early. Don't just do the mitzvah, think about it, sing, go to, sing psukah to Zimra a little bit more. Whatever it is, prepare spiritually before you do mitzvah. Don't just run into it. And it's a totally, totally, totally different experience. And that's, that, that's another thing that I try to, try to work on. And, and I think you, you guys you take that idea. It's definitely worth investing in, in that idea. Okay. So that is a little bit about the meaning of uh, Shavuot and, um, and the meaning of the Sefirata Omer. Um, let's talk now a little bit about the morning customs, okay? As Avelut. Avelut. Now, at its core, Pesach Shavuot is supposed to be a happy time or sad time? Happy. It's kind of like, wow, we're going from this time of when we were slaves and we were totally impure and right to becoming free men to receiving the Torah to be very happy time period but something happened in Jewish history which transformed this time period to us having mixed emotions where it's also happy but it's also a little bit sad or at least we have to focus what happened during the time of Sfirat Omer anybody familiar Rabbi Akiva. So the, the Gemara in Yavamot teaches us that 12,000 Zugim, 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva, died during this time period of, of Sefirat Omer. Okay? So because of that, there's certain things which we don't engage in during this time period. Okay? What did they do wrong? Why did they die? Oh, so it's not exactly that. That's what many people would think. They didn't love each other. That, that's very hard to believe because what's Rabbi Akiva's main teaching? So how can they not love each other? 
right? Some, some suggest that Rabbi Akiva's main teaching came after the fact, after his students died because they didn't love each other. He said, we have to love each other, right? In response to that. So that's one explanation. But others, the, the, the lesson of the Gemara is not necessarily that they didn't love each other, but that, they weren't respectful of each other. And those are really two separate things. For example, the, the, the halakha is that when you marry a, a woman, of course you're going to love her, but you have to also respect her. You have to treat, the, the stress is more to treat her with certain ideas of respect. Sometimes you can love someone, but that doesn't mean you treat them as respectfully. Dafka, a lot of times the people who we love the most, our family, are the people who we often, you know, are mezalza. We, we, don't, we are not so careful to disrespect them. Right? Has anyone ever experienced such a thing where someone who you're close to, you love, but they weren't so... They didn't show you proper respect, or maybe we didn't show them proper respect. Hopefully that it's never happened. But um, take a roommate. Your roommate who you love. You get along great, but what happens? Because you're so close, she, she'll sometimes take your stuff without permission, or maybe she'll make a lot of noise in the room and she won't let you fall asleep at night. She might love you, but she doesn't necessarily have the kavod that the, that, that the Kaddish Baruch requires us to have of each other. The way that the Hasidic Sefer, Shem Yishmu, explains it is that the students of Rabbi Akiva loved each other so much they felt like they were one body, one soul. And wh- what happens when a thumb hits, I don't know, the arm? Does the thumb start apologizing to the arm? No. Say, no, we're all one, it's all good, we're all chill here, right? So the lesson is, yes, we are all one, we're all connected, but at the same time, there has to be respect for, for one another. And we have to treat each other um, with the respect that we, we deserve. And the, these mourning practices that we do for each other is not to make us sad. It's to help us focus, if we want anything to focus on during this 49-day period, on treating each other with more kindness, with more love, and with more respect at the end of the day. And, and that's another thing. Is there, is there someone in my life who maybe I'm not showing the proper respect I'm not acting, you know, maybe for a teacher, maybe for a friend, maybe for a parent, with the, with the kavod that, that he's, he or she is in the Talmud Malachim, right? He's, every person is, is mamish in the image of God. We have to really, really be careful to treat each other with a lot of love and respect. So that's what we're focusing on. The truth is, there's a question, because... Okay, 24,000 people died, which is terrible, but like, weren't there so many horrible things which happened in, in Jewish history? You know, there was pogroms and all sorts of things. So why the, the specifically the fact that one time in Jewish history, 24,000 people died, are we making such a big deal out of that? It's not just Excellent. My friend was just pointing out to me that, that chat yesterday. We, we were learning these halakhot and the Shulchan He was saying it shows that it's not just, it was Tamidei Chachamim. And it wasn't just Tamidei Chachamim, it was Tamidei Chachamim at the crucial time period when Rabbi Akiva was like breathing life into the Torah. And because, you know, the Romans were oppressing us and Rabbi Akiva was running away, you know, in the caves and they made this rebellion. And he, 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 he had five students, and the whole Torah came from these five students. One of them is Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Imagine if we would have had 24,000 different students. Imagine how much more de- deeper. Sometimes, you know, you're learning Torah, and you feel like, yeah, it's all the same, it's a little boring. 
Imagine if we would have had 24,000 different geniuses to make the Torah so much deeper and more connected and, and better. So we're not just mourning the, 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 the people, we're also mourning the Torah, also, like, which was lost. When you hear about like, programming things, like, there's no reason, like, can't say like, a reason why, or like, mm-hmm. or, like, what we did wrong. And, like, hearing this, you could see, like, another like, like, strong lesson to learn from it, and, like, it's, like, very important, like, to, like, take it and, like, learn from it in the future. That's another good point. I agree. It also happens to be that historically... In certain places, they took these laws even more seriously and more humrot developed because of the Crusades and other massacres which happened in their time period, also during the time of the Sefirah. So they said, oh wow, this is a dark time period, we have to treat it with a little bit uh, more seriousness. Okay? So that's what we're spiritually focusing on. Now, Lama said, what are the halachot of uh, this kufa, this time period? Okay, so what don't we do? Um, in the Sefirat Omer, at least from Aleph until uh, Lag Bomer. Any, any, what do we refrain from in general? Yeah. Music, good. Cutting your hair, excellent. And okay, we'll, we'll, we'll go through all of them. Let's start. Weddings. Weddings. So it's actually not so good. You can go to a wedding. Um, if your friend invited you and they're holding by, let's say, a different aspect of the sphere, but you yourself should not do a wedding. Uh, because there di- basically, there's some people who do Sphere of Omer from Aleph to Lamedalin, and some people do it from Rosh Chodesh until the end. Saying, like, after Lama Omer, if somebody makes a wedding, and, like, Ex- you don't keep that. But, like, right. Like, or before, if you do the second half, but you can. So either they're before or they're after. After Lag Omer, the, the, the Omer, the end of the Omer is Shavuot. So there's no, uh, and Lag Omer itself, we're gonna, we'll, we'll talk about. It. You are allowed to do uh, weddings uh, um, either on Lag or Lad. It's Machloket, but be, that we'll talk about that in a minute. But one tradition is that the the, the death stopped on Lag Omer, and therefore from Lag Omer and on, we're we're allowed to uh, be happy again and have music and whatever. Yeah. So I know that people from after Lagrover and on, like they'll keep the second half instead of the first half. Right. Could you like do that one year and the next year not? It's a good question. There are some rabbis who allow it under certain circumstances. Uh, I I I'm not. I don't know what your rabbi says. There has to be a good reason. Um, it, it, it could be you could switch off Mirosh. I'm not sure. I, ask your rabbi. I have heard of such hetterim. I heard. I just uh, looked into a shaila. So somebody bought tickets, very expensive tickets, and it was to a concert, and they and and they wanted to know what to do. They realized it was Omer afterwards. So I looked it up online, and there was one rabbi at least one post who said, "Fine, you can keep the other half this year, and you know you can do a switch." So apparently there is. She said definitely I wouldn't recommend doing that uh, all the time. I would recommend taking a sheet and sticking with it, but. Under certain circumstances, maybe there is a room to be lenient. Ask. I'm not a postdoc. Um, but let's let's. Uh, you can look it up online if you. Just to pass that, everybody wants to do it, but like done all merits and like nobody can do it. Right. Now, to be honest, uh, you should ask your rabbi. I, um, I think I think it's an important minhag to refrain from going to uh, concerts. If it's not necessary, I w- I would stick with a general minhag. That would be my personal. Gisha, uh, unless it was absolutely crucial for for whatever reason, but let's but there may be more reason to be lenient about let's say listening to music in your earphones or um, or CDs. 
Basically, this is not a halacha mentioned in the Shulchan Aruch. It's a minhag which developed after the time of the Shulchan Aruch, where um, marriage was mentioned by the Shulchan Aruch, and there is a, a custom to, to refrain from live dancing, okay? Because that's a, a very happy occasion. You can dance, but not live dancing with a, with a, with a guitar or with, with, with instruments. On Shabbos, it's different. You can sing, but not with instruments. Not a live, uh, live, live band. But there are a few lenient situations when you would be able to listen to music. Question first. Okay, so we'll talk about that in a second. Fine. Let me just get to some of the leniencies. So in terms of listening uh, in your iPhones or in a radio, let's say, so you won't fall asleep, so certain posting like the Pnini Alecha, Right, that that would be allowed, uh, be if you needed it, because that's not for us. It's not like a party, happy, oh, it's, you know, dancing. It's just like the way many of us function. It's just normal for us to have music in a, in the background, and especially if it'll help a person not fall asleep, that would be okay. He would say probably better not to have happy, blasting music if possible, but that's that's okay according to many poskim and other poskim are machmir other poskim say you shouldn't like Moshe Feinstein and Tzitz Eliezer some poskim distinguish between a cappello and not a cappello Tzitz Eliezer was a rabbi who said no it doesn't matter if it's music no live music and Moshe Feinstein said as long as there's no instruments you can listen to it um, another uh, leniency oh but at the same time the Rav Muhammad said says that let's say, I don't know, you're cleaning the lunchroom and you want to blast music, like happy music, that he, he feels is not uh, appropriate during this time period. That's, that's not the, the, the mood which we're trying to create. And the same thing is true of the three weeks. Everything that's true here is also the same halacha, basically, for the three weeks. That you, that's not appropriate. Motze um, Shabbat. Actually, this Saturday night, I had an interesting halachic dilemma. Uh, the girls program in my uh, yeshiva, uh, girls was having a concert on Saturday night. And I didn't really understand why they were doing that. It's a sphera. And it was a live music. And so we instead didn't do that. We had like, we went to the cave and we sang and we didn't, we didn't, uh, we didn't uh, the rabbis weren't comfortable with having the live music. Then we got a big rabbi, the chief rabbi of Tzfat. His father was the head rabbi of Israel. Rav Shmuel Eliyahu. Maybe you've heard of his father, Mordechai Eliyahu. He's one of the biggest rabbis here. Oh, crazy big rabbi. So he came to give us a, a schmooze, and he said it is, it is allowed to have music on Saturday night. Motzei Shabbat. Because oh, it's like, like Malav Malav is part of Shabbos. It's for a mitzvah. Okay? At an engagement party, you are allowed to get engaged during the Omer, but better not to have, if possible, so much live music. There may be leniency, since it's a Dvar mitzvah, for maybe one for like a guitar, not like a whole it's band. Like, it's like a DJ, like let's you're, you're having a party and there's a DJ. What is that? Like it's not live, it's not. Right. I would say it's the same thing. It's like blasting music. It's not appropriate, but maybe for an engagement party, it's a mitzvah, so there'd be more reason to be lenient for that type of situation. Um, okay. Well, what you asked me about uh, Yom Atzmut, right? Um, in terms of music. Everybody plays music. Oh, okay. So Yom Atzmut is a whole year in itself. I don't know if I'll ever have time to give you, but it's a, it's a whole different topic. Obviously, many rabbis don't hold of Yom mood and will tell you not to do anything. There are many rabbis, religious Zionist rabbis like myself, who believe that not only can you, but you should blast music on Yom Ha'atzma'ut because there's a minog, there's a minog not to mourn, 
but there is a halacha to celebrate the miracles which Hashem has done for us through Hallel. That's what the Gemara teaches us. Whenever Hashem does a huge miracle for the Jewish people, we should sing Hallel. And that is why I believe, and many others believe, that the miracle that happened, that we got a Medina, that we have Eric Israel, we could talk for hours about how amazing it is that we have Medina Israel, what it's, what it's done for the Jewish people, how it's breathed new life into us after the Holocaust, and how God is fulfilling his promises after 2,000 years, saying, one day you'll come back to Eretz Israel. how we have a mitzvah there, right, according to Ramban, for every Jew to live here and to have sovereignty over the land, that we have to rule over the land. Again, I like this topic, so I can go on and on and on. So I personally am in the camp that we should say halal with a bracha, um, or, or without a bracha, but we should say halal, we should be very thankful, and that... Um, and therefore, on Yom Ma'ut, I personally do listen to music, and I will even shave. Ratzvi um, Yehuda Cook and the Rabbanut of Yisrael were, were suggested that you should shave, and you can get a haircut on Yom Ma'ut, and you can have live music. Not everyone agrees to that. I'm just telling you that there, there were great, great rabbis who did believe in that and do that, and that's what I do. And the same thing is true of Yom Yerushalayim, even more so in Yom Yerushalayim. Right, right. So it's not as big of a deal, but for those who are holding by this, there are many who do the whole thing all 50 days. The Ari would do it all 50 days. Um, so they don't shave their beard and they don't, and they don't listen to music all 50 days. Um, but Anyom Matsumun and Yom Yushalayim, Anyom Yushalayim in particular, the miracles that happened in 1967. Just go online and look up miracles of 1967. They're unbelievable. And they're like, there's ten, hundreds of amazing, amazing stories. I, I just read a book about it, but there's amazing stories. Do I do. I don't know. I think last year, actually, uh, the Escher goes came to Araita, and we did it together. That's what we did. Now, this year, I'm not at Araita, but I'm at TVA, so Miriam can be in touch if you girls want to join in. I don't know. I don't exactly know what you guys are going to do, but in general, I do believe that you guys uh, did it. We had a whole sicha explaining the significance of of why we say Hallel, and, 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 and especially on Yom Yerushalayim. Being in Yerushalayim 50 years later, um, I, I think we should sing Hallel and, and, and have live music, no problem whatsoever. I'm both Yom Atzimut and Yom Yerushalayim. I'm very biased in this opinion, but I, I, uh, I really believe strongly. And the Pnini Alecha has a whole book talking about why he also paskins that we should, uh, we should say Hallel and, and have music and all that. Okay. Let's talk about haircuts just for a minute. Um, the, the custom is not to get haircuts uh, during the Omer as a sign of mourning um, and that's why you'll see yeshiva guys grow beards um, but if yeah but if it's really you know getting in the way and there's an emergency situation then maybe again also Arab Shabbat sometimes there's a heter to shave I don't know exa- I'm not sure for girls exactly but um, for Arab Shabbat there's some emergencies Professional, like, you're like, have a professional, like, it's a very, like, you know, my dad should just go, like, 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 my and at the end of the day, these are minhagim. Minhagim are very important, don't get me wrong, but if there's a mitzvah, like preparing for Shabbos, that might be more important. And in the olden days, they didn't necessarily need to look on, lick, 
clean. But for us, maybe for a doctor, for him to not shave looks unprofessional, and therefore if you, if you, there, are, there, there is a leniency. Many, uh Soloveitchik talks about it, to, uh, to shave even every day if you're in that situation. But if you're you know, a guy like me, nobody really cares if I have a beard or not. So why not keep the beard? Uh, although I do, Bedafka, I do shave on uh, Yom Yushalayim generally just to show that I believe that this is a holiday that we should celebrate. And, and even if the Medina is not perfect and there are definitely problems, we should say thank you to Akadosh Baruch Hu for the miracles. That, that, and and his, he's fulfilling his promise. He promised that we come back, we're coming back. And I believe it's the first steps in the redemption. The land of Israel is blossoming, the Jews are coming back, and we have to, we have to celebrate. So that's Yom Atmut, Yom Zikron, shaving, haircuts, music, live music. Am I forgetting anything? Some people have a custom to refrain from buying new fruits and saying Shachian. Um Some people don't. And, um, and no, I, I think most people do. And I'm not sure, but I think some people refrain from buying, buying new items. I have to um, double check with, with me about that one. I'm not so sure about that. In any case, on Lag Ba'omer, or Lag Ba'omer, we generally stop mourning. Why is that? What happened on Lag Ba'omer? They stopped, they stopped dying, number one. Number two, what else happened on Lag Ba'omer? It's the day that some very famous person passed away. Who's that? Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Right? Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai passed away. Um, what does Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai have to do with anything? He was a student of Rabbi Akiva. Flip it. Ah, no, they're just in a different tradition. I'm not sure if it's connected to him. He, Rishim Bar what did he do that's important for Judaism? What did he write? What book? The Zohar. The Sefer Zohar was attributed to Rabbi Shim Bar He wrote in the cave when he was running away from the Romans who were oppressing us in that time of darkness. He wrote the Zohar, which is the main book of the Kabbalah, the passed down tradition, which again, I guess it relates to what we were talking about yesterday, Abiyad during this time of persecution when the Jews were being killed and massacred by the Romans during this dark time in a cave like remember the dark the echo of dark cave that's when the Torah came out the light came out from that dark time people voting his green right we were just there the greatest gathering of all of Israel is on Miron and Lag Bomer it's pretty crazy my family friends who look here they're telling me they're going back yeah it's 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 not much nuts I have a lot of Funny stories about that, but um, anyway, so hundreds of thousands of people go there um, and celebrate on Lagba Omer. So we stop the morning. Um, it's called oh, and with this, it's called a hilula. Hilula means a wedding. What does it mean? It's a wedding. He died. So why is it a wedding? His soul reached its holy. It, 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 it's place in heaven and it's like a wedding when, 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 uh, when it got to Shemayim. Now, for, for people like us, it's, it's, it is, and even for them, it's a tragedy when, when people die. It's horrible. But at the same time, for holy people like Rabbi Shem Baruchai, he was completely divorced of his body. He, like we were saying before, no gosh, he has no physicality. So for him, his soul reached its maker and his Torah started spreading out to the world. And that's why also in Lagba Omer, not, we start being happier, we have music, and we focus more on Hasidut and Kabbalah and spiritual ideas, um, which are also there to help us feel more connected to Kadosh Baruch. Okay, I, I told you guys I was going to ask you one idea, one idea uh, that you're going to try to take upon yourself to uh, from here until the end of Sirat Omer. Let's go. I don't like saying this. 
saying things. Okay, but you have an idea in your head? Yeah. I'm like saying things so I'm always like, oh, then I always feel guilty if I don't do it. Fine, but you have an idea? Yeah. Okay, you have an idea? Mm-hmm. Um, just uh, to thank Hashem for calling us if I could reach back to my day and like... That's excellent. Awesome. It's also a big key to being happy. Excellent. You have an idea? You could, either, you could think it to yourself, or you could think it, but you have to be, you have to have one idea inspired with this year. Maybe get into. Pulsation on Dumadani. Excellent. Okay, one idea. I need to think about it. Okay. I'll, I'll say mine, but like, I'm not like promising that I'm gonna do it. But like, fine. So then, give us one idea, one thing you learned from this, uh, from this class that Something you like. Something that I learned. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I didn't know that. Um, the journey there is is part of it. Okay, great. I hope you girls enjoy. I certainly did. And have a wonderful Shabbat. We'll meet again whenever we meet.